your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Exodus 33, because that's where we will begin. Exodus 33, but we're headed into Exodus 34. We're looking at the second part of a study of God's character, where the I Am God says, I'm not only holy, but I am love. And last week we asked this question, is God holy and loving at the same time? And the relevance of this, I cannot emphasize to you. I cannot overemphasize the relevance of what we've been studying these weeks. And that's why here on this first page, don't freak out, it's a summary of the last whole series. But, it, but it's packaging it together. You don't hear it like this in most places. And God's people, unfortunately, don't think this way. I recently listened to a message just this past week by a man who was addressing the hot topic of homosexuality. And overall, his message was, I, I understood what he was trying to say. Homosexuality, he did uh, admit reluctantly, he reluctantly admitted that it, that it was a sin. And yet he wanted to emphasize how we need to be loving. And, and overall, okay. But at the beginning, at the end of the message, he kept saying, truth is love and love is truth. Truth is love and love is truth. Now that sounds good and that sounds balanced, but when you think about that, that's not what the Bible reveals. Because if you start saying that truth is love, then what happens is, well, whatever's loving must be true. And if you begin to say love is truth, then again, whatever's loving must be truth. And yet, if you remember in our class when we studied 2 John, in 2 John, he made it clear that truth is the priority and truth is even greater than love. In other words, we love, but we love according to truth. It's not the same as truth. And we truth, but we don't truth without being loving. But truth doesn't equal love. Well, that's what we're seeing here. God is holy and God is loving, but those are not totally equal and they are not identical. Yet God, because here's what happens. When you start saying truth is love and love is truth, who gets left out of that nice little soundbite? God does. God does. And what happens is love starts defining truth. And when we say holiness is love and love is holiness, then what happens is we live God out of it. And what we see in the book of Exodus is we can't leave God out of this equation. In fact, we can't understand love and holiness, truth and grace and compassion until we study it. Well, actually, until he reveals it to us. And like Moses, we submit ourselves and walk with this God who is all these character qualities, all these attributes. We can't learn it without Him. And so what I have here, uh, last week we, we tackled, is God holy and loving at the same time? And just to review from Exodus 3, the I am God is loving, holy and loving in the burning bush that was not burned up. And all you don't have to go any farther than that. The bush... The thorn bush, the emblem of sin, 
God's holy fire burned within that bush, and yet it didn't burn up that bush. Holiness and love. You can go down here. And so there's all these statements on the left side, how holiness was revealed in the burning bush event, and yet on the right side, how love was demonstrated. And just look at the third one. In the burning bush, God speaks and warns Moses, don't come too near. Why? I am holy, you're not, and what would Moses become? A roasted marshmallow. It's fall, okay? I'm thinking of these things. He would become a roasted marshmallow. And yet that very statement, don't come near, is actually an act of love. Because if he hadn't warned Moses, what would Moses have done? He would have kept coming near and becoming a roasted marshmallow. So you see, even in revealing His holiness, He reveals His love. They're not contradictory. They're combined in the character of God. That's all we'll do there. Now, last week, we saw that the I Am God is holy and loving after the Exodus, in the wilderness, and on Mount Sinai. And we covered Exodus 15 through 34. So what I have there are the eight statements of love. The eight expressions of love that we studied last week. And I don't know about you, it was good for me to review those. And to see, even when he's expressing great words and acts of love, his holiness is not set aside. It's not diminished. It's together because God is holy and loving at the same time. Now... As you know, as we've moved through to Exodus, well, let's where we're at right now, Exodus 33, God's been revealing Himself, and ultimately what happens is God reveals His holy law, the Ten Commandments. Moses is up there 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai, and as God is lovingly revealing His holiness and His holy expectations, His holy commands, God's people are down below doing what? Breaking every one of those commandments. And so, God is burning with anger because He's holy. And He's burning with anger because the fame of His name is being defamed. And so, He says, you better get down there and take care of your people. Because now there's a separation. God's holy, they're not. And Moses, once again, intercedes for the sinful people. We've seen him do this repeatedly in these chapters. He once again intercedes for the sinful people, and he makes a twofold request. He requests that God's glory would remain with Israel. Because once God said, look, I'm not going with you any longer. Remember, he tested the people of Israel. Well, first of all, he tested Moses and he said, I want to see if you love them the way I love them. And so Moses, I'm going to torch them. I'm going to destroy them, but I'm going to start over with you. And Moses says, oh, no, I love them like you love them. If you're going to destroy them, then you destroy me. That's sacrificial love. And he intercedes and God says, "Okay, I won't destroy them. But then he tests Israel and he says, I won't destroy them. I'll I'll, I'll show grace to them as you have interceded, but I'm going to tell them, I'm going to send you on ahead. I'm going to let you go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And he's testing the people to find out, 
Do you love me or do you love what I do for you? I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you all the benefits. I'll do all these things, but I won't be with you. And the people repent because they finally get it. No, we want you, not just what you do for us. And so Moses intercedes at that point and says, remain with Israel. They've repented, remain with them, but reveal your glory to me. Exodus 33, show me your glory. Why did he say that? He said that to have assurance that God can be trusted. To have assurance that God would keep his word. To have assurance that even when people really sin, God remains holy and loving. So look at Exodus 33. Look at Exodus 33 and notice what he says. Then Moses said to the Lord, verse 12, look at verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. You're you're telling me that you love me and we have this relationship, but you're not telling me that you're going to go with us. Verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So what he's saying is, if we have this great relationship, then please answer my prayer, and remember that these are your people, not mine. And so, verse 14, he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he's saying that singular, just to Moses. Then, verse 15, Moses responds, then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, he keeps saying, you know, we're in this together. We're in this together. It's not just me. It's them. I care about them. Because I know you care about them. I and your people may be distinguished. The holiness of God's people is distinguished by the fact that he goes with them. From all other people who are on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. So he says, okay, I will go with you. I will grant you that. I will go with you. But notice... Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God in his grace grants the second request. And here's what he says. He says this, verse 19, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So he's going to show him his love 
and his character, but he's also saying, I'm so holy, you can't fully see me. Verse 21, then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back. But my face you shall not shall not be seen. So how will how does God answer this request? Show me your glory. Here's the main idea of today's lesson, and it's this the glory of his name is loving and holy at the same time. The glory of his name, what God is about to reveal to Moses, the glory of his name is going to be holy and loving. And we come to it in Exodus 34, and we're going to concentrate on verses 1 through 10. Now, here's the reality. Here's the, here's the reality. This passage is one of the most important passages in all the Bible. This passage will show up again and again. In fact, I have there in your notes all the different, not all of them, but many of the different references to what God is about to reveal. If you can get a handle on this passage today, you will see it in your reading. I'm reading through the uh, Old Testament right now, and last week I was in Hosea. And boom, here's this big chapter in Hosea where this qual- this, these characters, these characteristics of God, these attributes just pop out. And you're like, oh wait, that's Exodus 34. You'll begin to see this if you can get a handle on this. So here's what I want you to see. Exodus 34, let's read it, 1 through 10. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. What happened to the former ones? Moses broke them in pieces to represent God, uh, the people breaking God's holy law. So he says, like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. Even the animals will be toasted. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. And then it happens. Verse 5, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, I am. The Lord God, I am God. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Let's stop right there. The glory of His name is holy and loving at the same time. So here's what I want you to do, or want to show you, want you to learn. 
There are three ways the I am God reveals that he is love in this passage. And let's look at them. The first one is he's saying I am love is revealed in his unchanging character. His unchanging character. So much has gone on, mostly with God's people sinning, griping, and complaining. The good news is God's character remains unchanged. All right, so let's take a look at that. Uh, I didn't realize, uh, I've studied Exodus before, but I didn't realize until this time, Moses goes up seven times. Did you realize that? You know, often we think he goes up once, he comes down, they blow it, 40 days, 40 nights, and then he goes up again here. But this is the seventh time. And it's the climactic time. There's a handout over there on the seven ascents, the seven times that he goes up this mountain. So if you want to take a look at that, it really covers all the ground that we've been studying thus far. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. God's character remains faithful. God's character remains faithful even when his people are unfaithful. God's character remains faithful even when his people are unfaithful. He didn't have to come down, and yet he came down. He didn't have to answer Moses' prayer, and yet he's answering it. He didn't have to reveal his glory, and yet he's doing that. Let me show you two ways that he does that. First of all, in love, the I am God comes down once again. He comes down once again to reveal himself and his holy law. Now, again, if God was just holiness, here's my Ten Commandments. They're already breaking them. Moses breaks the stone tablets to reveal God's wrath. Well, God would say, you had one chance and you blew it. I'm holy. You're not. Good luck. You're on your own. But in love... He comes down, and for a second time, the I Am God reveals His Ten Commandments. So, just remember, it's loving when God repeatedly shows Himself holy to you when you sin. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. Because what He should really be showing us in our sin is what aspect of His character. Wrath, judgment, punishment, condemnation. Is that what we deserve? Yes. Is that who he is and what he must do with sin? Yes. But in love, he gives them a second chance. He reveals his law. Secondly, in love, the I am God stands with Moses as Moses calls on the name of the Lord. This is radical. Not only is this holy God going to give them a second revelation of His law, but He comes down personally and stands alongside Moses as Moses calls on His name. Now, I hope you're looking at your Bibles. Because if you are, you're seeing that there might be a difference in your Bible than what I read from verse 5. So I'm reading from the New American Standard. There's a debate about who's doing the proclaiming, who's doing the calling in verse 5. So look in your Bibles at verse 5. The New American Standard says, 
The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as he, Moses, called upon the name of the Lord. I think I have in your, in your notes the Christian Standard Bible and really every other modern translation that I checked says it this way. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him, that is Moses there, and then the Lord proclaimed his name, the Lord. Okay, so you see the difference? Who, the Lord, the, all translations say the Lord is standing with him. Some say he, he is standing with him as Moses calls out his name. And others are saying he's standing with him and calling his name to Moses. So let me tell you what I think. I'm sticking with the New American, Translate, New American Standard Translation on this one for this reason. The very next verse says the Lord is not standing as he proclaims his name, but he is moving. He is passing by. When he proclaims his name, he's not standing there. When he's proclaiming, he's passing by because if he stood and revealed this, it would overwhelm Moses. And I think, too, this idea of the Lord standing there, Moses calling out his name, and then the Lord calling his name back, reveals a more dynamic, a more complex, a more relational, a more any interactive act of worship. So think how this plays out. The Lord initiates the invitation and says, Moses, come up the next morning. Rise early, come up next morning, and present yourself to me on the mountain. Moses, with an obedient faith, rises up early, goes up the mountain, and presents himself to the Lord, and I believe begins to call on the name of the Lord. The Lord comes down, stands with him, as Moses calls out his name, and in response to Moses' obedient worship, God then graciously reveals more of his glory. And we're going to see at the end of this passage that Moses then responds in complete obedience and surrender, an act of worship. Now, here's what I would present to you. What you just got is a wonderful pattern of worship that we play out and we should be playing out every Sunday here. The Lord invites us to come and worship Him. And so we obediently rise early. Amen. And we come... And we represent ourselves. And here's the good news. He comes and stands with us as we proclaim His name through song, through prayer, through teaching, through preaching. And when we call out His name, He is standing there among us to reveal more of His glory to us so that by the end of our worship time together, we respond with greater obedience and worship. It's beautiful. And I just think that's what's happening. Now, you know, either way is fine. Okay, both translations are biblical. The Bible's not at fault here. You can go either way with that. But don't miss, don't miss this. That regardless of how we're living, God is love because His character is unchanging. He remains faithful even when we do not. Faithful to His covenant people, those in covenant relationship. But there's more to this. The second thing I want you to see is when 
Now he's going to proclaim his name. So now he's proclaiming. Moses has called out to him in obedience. God has stood with him. Now the Lord is about to speak and we're going to see that he is love and we're going to see it in his holy character. So his unchanging character reveals his love, but his holy character reveals his love. Look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And on to verse 7. So let's look at this. First of all, look. how does he begin? What's the first thing he says in verse 6? What's the first thing he proclaims? <clears throat> Speak up. The, Lord, the first, the first thing. The Lord, and it's all in caps, which means I am. I am. So the first thing he does is God's love begins with his holy character. God's love begins with his holy character, and it never lessens or departs from it. See, he never departs from the fact that I am who I am. I'm about to show you my love, but understand that my love begins with who I am in my holy character, and my love never lessens and never departs from my holiness. So he first thing he says to express his love is, I am, and then he says it again, I am. Now, once again, as you look in your notes, there are two ways this can be translated. So in the New American Standard, which I read from, it's translated, I am... I am God, right? I am, I am God. But in the ESV and several others, it's translated, I am, I am, the God who is these things. So which is it? Again, both are biblical. We're not talking about problems with the Bible. This is why we, we have the benefit in our country of many English translations. And if you'll, it, without knowing Greek or Hebrew, if you'll just compare translations, you'll learn things. Okay, Not that the Bible's in error, but there's more than one way to translate what has been inspired, what has been revealed, and there's different nuances. Now, this time, I would say... If, if you translate it like the New American Standard, he's saying, I am, I am God. He's just kind of given this absolute statement. He's taken us back to Exodus 3, and he's saying, I am who I am, the one true God. And then he starts rattling off these characteristics. I think, and Hebrew scholars would agree, that the second translation is a better one. And here's what he's saying, I am, I am. Almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. I realize that. I am, I am. The God who. And then he begins to describe who he is and later what he does. I think this is the better translation. And, and guys that know more than me and know more Hebrew than I do, more than I have forgotten, would say the same. Now, it's the same idea. Remember in the Bernie Bush Moses, or God cried out to Moses. How did he call Moses? He called him by name, but what did he say? Moses, Moses. He did it two times, remember? And when we studied that, we said he said Moses, Moses, like because he loved intimacy and desire. Moses, Moses, 
Oh, I love you. Moses, Moses. I just, oh, come, come here, Moses. I want to have a relationship with you. I desire intimacy with you. I want a personal level. Moses, Moses. Here, what he's saying to Moses is, he's saying the same kind of intimacy, but he's emphasizing, this is all that I am. I can't tell you any more than I've already told you. I am, I am. I am. Yeah, but what's that mean? I am. Yeah, but I want to know more. I am. I am who I am. But I'm telling you twice because I want you to know it. Because I want to be in relationship with you. Isn't that good? Then he says, I am, I am. And here's the kind of God I am. A God who. And then he proceeds to tell us who he is. Who he is and what he does. What he does. And there's going to be three things here and there's going to be three things here. So let's take a look at it. Here we go. Are you ready? God's holy character. God's love is first of all revealed in who he is. And he makes three statements in verse 6. Three statements. Number one, I am quick to love. I am quick to love. Is that good news, folks? I am quick to love. And how does he express that? I am the God who is compassionate and gracious. So let's break those down a little bit. First of all, I'm compassionate. Compassionate speaks of heartfelt mercy. So you want to put that down. Heartfelt mercy. He's quick to love. Because he is compassionate. And compassionate means he has heartfelt mercy. Now, this word compassionate is really cool because it's associated with the womb. And what it refers to is the compassion that a mother has for that child that she gave birth to. The natural tender mercies that a mother has... For her beautiful child, no matter how ugly that child is, to her, his or her mama, she's beautiful. Isn't that right? Why? Because of a mother's compassion. That's our God. A great illustration of this kind of compassion, a kind of uh, just an illustration from Scripture, is in 1 Kings 3. Remember Solomon had that, uh, Solomon was showing his wisdom and his discernment, and there were two prostitutes, both had a baby, and the one prostitute rolled over in the night and smothered her, her newborn child, and so in the middle of the night she replaced her dead child with the living baby of the other prostitute in the room, And so in the morning woke up, the other woman whose baby did not die has a dead baby with her, examines the baby closely and says, this isn't my baby. Yes, it is. Mine's the living one. No, you're, you know, and they go on. So they go to Moses or go to Solomon, King Solomon with his great wisdom. What does Solomon do? He calls for a sword. Why? He says, I'm going to divide this baby, cut it in half. You can have half and you can have half. And what happens? The mother, the true mother's compassion for her child rolls up and cries out, Don't kill her! 
or him or it, you know him or her. I don't know which one it was. Give it to her. Why? Because a mother's compassion would rather sacrifice and see her children live. That is our God. Who would rather give his own son to see sinners like us live? Who would rather sacrifice himself than to see his people destined for hell? That's compassion. And that's the first thing. That's the first thing after saying, I am, I am. I am a God who has the tender mercies of a mother. And then he says, gracious, gracious. Graciousness speaks of undeserved grace. Undeserved grace. I know I'm using gracious, gracious, Grace to describe graciousness, but there's no way to describe grace other than grace. Grace is grace. It's undeserved. Yeah, but it, yeah, undeserved, undeserved grace. Okay? If this is the tender compassion of a mother, this is the grace of a loving father. It's showing favor and granting desires of those that don't deserve anything. It's the grace of answering prayers to people that don't deserve their prayers being answered. And these two words show up together 13 times, and usually like they do here to describe our God. So 13 times they come together. And, and most of those times, it's to describe God, just like here. Because here's the reality. It emphasizes the mercy of that God's mercy is like a loving mother toward her baby, and His grace is like a loving father to His children. Because the I am God is compassionate, we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. And we can approach Him as sinners and ask for His grace and receive from Him what we don't deserve. So we don't get what we do deserve, and we do get what we don't deserve. Boom! God is quick to love. He's quick to love. But you don't know my situation, Chris. He does. And He is compassionate and gracious. Yeah, but you don't know how many times I've done that. He does, and he is compassionate and gracious. He's quick to... First thing out of his mouth. You want to see my glory? Here it is. I am compassionate and gracious. You may not have had a tender mother, but he will mother you. You may have not had a perfect father, but he will father you. Is this not good news? Quick to love, but... Now, this is good. By the way, in Exodus 33, when he says, show me your glory, he says, I'm going to show you my goodness. This is good, right? But it's going to get gooder. Are you with me? Number two, he's not only quick to love, that's good. But you know what's gooder? He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. So the second thing he says here, I'm quick to love, but I'm slow to anger. Now, anytime you see that in Scripture, you don't just say slow to anger. You know what you say? You say slow to anger. 
which is another way of saying long-suffering. Are you quick to anger, God? No, I'm slow to anger. I am long... Your your sin pains me, but I am long-suffering with your sin. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. That's really good news. Now, don't miss what God, what the I am God is saying. I do get angry. I do get angry. I get very angry. I even get burning with anger. But it takes me a long time. So put a bunch of O's in that when you fill in that blank, okay? Put a bunch of O's in there. So don't miss what God... The word for anger here is burning anger. And you know what's really freaky? This is what's freaky. Five of the nine occurrences of this word for burning anger occurs in Exodus 32 with the golden calf sin. When they sin with that golden calf, God is white hot angry. And you know the rest of the occurrences of this word is Moses when he comes down the mountain and he's white hot angry and crushes the tablets. Why? Because he reflects the God who he has spent time with. So don't miss. I get angry. White hot burning wrath judgment condemnation type angry. But it takes a long time. A long time. Two observations. He does get angry. I just shared you with that. But it takes a long time to get there. And by the way, here in Exodus, he hasn't spent 40 years with this sinful people yet. Much less a thousand or so years of them continually rebelling. And as you move into the prophets... As this nation of his in covenant relationship continually spurns his love and his holiness, this word for this word for anger it builds and it builds and it builds until it's unleashed. But he gave them so many times, didn't he? He was so long suffering. Now, quick to love is good, right? But slow to anger is gooder. Well, guess what? It's going to get more gooder. Okay, so as the grammar gets worse, the theology gets better. Okay, as the grammar gets worse, the theology gets worse. So we're about to get more gooder. Are you ready? Yeah, you college kids don't don't talk this way in your papers. Number three, unless it's a theology paper and then say this is good theology. Number three, abounding in loyal love, abounding in loyal love and truthful trustworthiness. Now, I could have just said truth, like in the New American Standard. I could have just said faithfulness, like other translations. But I want to understand what that means. Plus, words that we're familiar with, we glide over. So here's what. Now, in some of your Bibles, it says loyal love. How many people, anybody have loyal love in their translation? Some have steadfast love. Anybody got steadfast love? Yeah? Okay. How many people have loving kindness? You got loving kind. Okay, same word. Okay. And it's one of those Hebrew words. It's one of those words of God's character that no language can capture. 
Okay, because this is how much he loves us. And so I love the translation loyal love because it's a covenant love. God has entered in a covenant with these people. Through Jesus Christ, we have entered into a covenant. If you've accepted Jesus here this morning, we're in a covenant relationship and mark it down. His love is loyal to you and to those promises, right? Faithfulness. Some Bibles have truth and some have faithfulness. Well, which is it? And the answer is both. Because here's the reality. You can't be faithful until you're true. And unless you're true, you can't be faithful. So that's why I call it truthful trustworthiness. You can always count on God to tell you to be true and tell you the truth. And because He always will, guess what? You can trust Him. He is trustworthy. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Who are you going to trust? You're only going to trust someone that will tell you the truth and be true in their character. So there's a moral aspect to this. Well, let's first look at loving kindness. Loving kindness speaks of his loyal love of the I am God who is faithful to show kindness to his people based on his covenant relationship. I gave you just seven. These are ways this word is used in scripture. I didn't even begin to exhaust it. Loyal love is the love of a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. It's the love of someone who remains faithful when others are unfaithful. It's the love of someone who does what's best for others, even if it hurts them in the short term or hurts him in the short term. In other words, number four, loyal love is a tough love that establishes boundaries and calls out sin, not to condemn and drive the other away in shame, but to convict to repentance and draw them near to show them mercy. Number five, it's a mutual love that's returned to the Lord. Exodus 26 says, He shows loving kindness to thousands, same phrase that we find here, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's not a one-way love. Number six, the love that characterizes the I am God's rule over all creation. He's just, he, he, he's just, he, he's loyal in whoever he loves, but especially those he's in covenant relationship with. And then number seven, love that's most often used of the I am God because he's, he's the only one whose love is always loyal to his people. Why is that? Because his character is unchanging and it's holy. You can't escape that. All right? So, there's so much more here, but let's talk about truth. Truth speaks uh, of both truth or faithfulness, depending on what translation. Truth speaks of both the truthfulness and the faithfulness of God's character. The truthfulness and the faithfulness of God's character. He's trustworthy. Oh, they're just, jot down Psalms 92, 1 through 2. Just jot that down. You look that up. Psalm 92, 1 through 2. Jot down Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's some great 
verses on this, okay? And then finally, abounding speaks of an abundant overflow. Okay, so, so he's not a, an abundant overflow, like a tsunami, like an avalanche, like a tidal wave. His, his love, just his loyal love it just flows and flows and flows. And just about you think it's going to quit. It keeps coming at you and floods over you. I think of Lauren Daigle, Audra's favorite person. Not kid, not really. I just give her a hard time about that. Lauren Daigle's song, Loyal, Loyal Love. You got, oh, listen to that song. Jot that down. But God's character is not revealed in just who He is, but what He does. So look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says, Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Here's how I would summarize that. Number one, what does God do? He is faithful in His love. He is faithful. He maintains loving kindness. The word for maintain is like a watchman who's setting guard, who's up all the time. So here's the Lord. He's always looking at His covenant people. And He's like, how can I maintain my love to them? How can I maintain my love to them? He never falls asleep. He is faithful in His love. Number two, He is forgiving in his love. He is forgiving. Who forgives iniquity. And not just iniquity. But transgression. And not just transgression. But sin. So basically anything you've done in this room. Anything I've done. It's covered. He piles on those words to say. There's no sin I can't forgive. Can we say a, a word there? He is forgiving who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And that, and yet, here it comes. Number three, he is fearful in his love. He is fearful, or you could use another F word, fierce. He is fearful or fierce in his love because notice what he says. You know, by this time, do you, are you feeling the avalanche of love? Are you feeling, look, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm quick to love, I'm slow to anger, and I'm overflowing with loving kindness and faithfulness. Wow, we've got it made. And if we're not careful, we're going to think, if I'm one of God's people, I can live any way I want because He covers all sin. And He forgives. And there's no ending of His... I can't out-sin... His grace, so I'm going to keep sinning. Romans chapter 6. But what does he say in verse 7? This is God speaking. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And then he says, Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So if you're wondering what that means, I'm not going to attempt that in a minute which is why I planned it this way. So there's a paper over there. You get, there's an article on that. Does God judge children for the sins of their parents? I'll tell you the answer. Yes and no. Yes and no. No in the sense that no one goes to hell or except 
by their own personal rejection. But any time, whether a believer or an unbeliever, we presume on God's grace and live a lifestyle of sin, and we have children, it gets passed on. Sin is contagious. Sin has consequences. And sin is corporate. It impacts others. And when we name the name of Jesus, but persist in sin, that sinful lifestyle is going to be passed on to our kids and on to their kids. Now, if God's grace intervenes, God's people share the gospel and they repent and confess their sins, God will save them. But when you live in a home and you grow up in a home where sin is swept under the carpet instead of confessed, where hypocrisy rules, that will get passed on to the second, third generations. But here's the good news. God has loving kindness for thousands That's more than one or two generations. You see what I'm saying? His loving kindness can intervene. But we, like the children of Israel, we need to repent and say, hey, we need your holy presence in our lives. And so I leave you with this. How do we respond? There's a third way God's love is revealed, and that's in Moses' radical response. Moses' radical response. And let me give you these. First of all, he responds by surrendering his life as an act of worship. Look at verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low to the earth and worship. Listen, when God reveals himself this way, there's only one thing you do. You hit the deck. And you just say, you're God, I'm not, and I am so glad I'm in covenant relationship with you. It's the same response as the burning bush. Because it's the same God. You see, a true revelation of God's love doesn't lessen holiness. It increases holiness. And then let me end with this. Moses requests that God's holy presence would still go with them in spite of of their sinfulness. And you say, well, how does God answer that? Come back next week for the last message in this series. We'll finish the book of Exodus. But I want to point out one thing in verse 8. Or actually verse 9. Moses surrenders in verse 8, but here's what he says in verse 9. If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Look in your Bibles. Is Lord capitalized? No. And then he says, I pray, let the Lord go along with your people. Is Lord capitalized? No. You know what he's saying? I just saw the I am God and all of his love and compassion. And now all I know is you're God. I'm not. And I'm addressing you as the sovereign king. Whatever you say goes. So I just leave you with that. That a real revelation of God's love doesn't lessen His Lordship. It increases it. It doesn't lessen His holiness. It increases it. So how are you going to respond? 
If you're living in sin, let me encourage you to repent. If you haven't received Jesus as your I am God, I encourage you to receive Him. If you have received Him, then get upstairs and rejoice that this is... Don't be distracted in praise singing. Don't be distracted in prayer time. Don't look at your phone during the sermon because we have this kind of God, right? And we ought to be up there rejoicing, letting loose. You can raise hands. You can jump if you want. We prefer not running down the aisles. But you can physically, emotionally, and above all, verbally respond to the great I Am God. Next week we'll talk a little bit more. Moses came down off this mountain and guess what? He reflected God's glory. So this isn't just about upstairs. This is about the rest of this week. Reflecting the glory, these, this compassion, this holiness, right? And then Moses uses all of that and says, I want others to, to have you in their life. World Outreach is coming up. This is a great study to get our hearts focused. We want the nations to know our God. Amen? And like Moses, we'll sacrifice finances, we'll pray about it, and we'll go and do something so everyone, so we can spread the fame of His name. Man, that's good stuff. Woo, man. Father, we thank You for Your grace. It's abounding. We thank You for Your compassion. It's tender. We thank You for Your faithfulness and Your grace. It's like the perfect Father You are. Lord, bless these people. Bless them. They have been blessed with a revelation of who you are. Now may we go and be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good God, good stuff.